Seattle Sports Snapshot. Snapshot. The Mariners jumped to an early 5-0 lead, but still lost to the Royals. Here's the good news. Cal Raleigh hits his first home run of the spring, and Logan Gilbert strikes out three in two innings. The Kraken take on the Penguins tonight at home. Puck drop is at 7 p.m. And the big boys on defense take the stage as the NFL combine begins today with the linebackers and defensive linemen getting things going. Events start at noon. Snapshot brought to you by Miller Lite. When it's game time, it's Miller time. Powered through the Alaska Airline Studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go now. We are joined now by the Athletics' Randy Mueller on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. My man is the host of the Athletics' Football GM Podcast with Mike Sando. Love me some Mike Sando. He was also a longtime front office executive in the NFL with the Seahawks, Saints, Dolphins, and the Chargers. Randy, man, how you doing today? I'm doing great. Good to be on with you guys. Thanks for joining us, man. I mean, man, it's that time of the year. It, it's almost like football season never ends. I'm sad after the yep. uh, the Super Bowl because I'm like, oh, what are we going to do now? Then I think, oh, yeah, we got the combine. We got pro days. And then we have the draft. Um, what you're, you're down in Indianapolis or over in Indianapolis, I should say, correct? Yep, I'm here. What's the um, what's the vibe going on around there? You got Marvin Harrison who decided not to show up um, or at least yep. not to not to do any of the uh, the competing events. And then you also have some coaching staffs that uh, decided not to be there and send some scouts. Um, any of this unusual to you? And, and what are your thoughts overall? Well, there's some of it. It is. That's for sure. I, I would think to, to answer your question, this is the time of year, Michael, that I probably miss most about not being a GM. I love all of these deals that are happening, all of the uh multitasking that the gms have to do nowadays with regard to your own free agents other people's free agents talking draft talking free agency it's a crazy time and i love that but to answer your question there's a few different vibes obviously there's a lot of talk about caleb williams the quarterback and what the bears are going to do the marvin harrison one is interesting to me because i don't know but i'm guessing there will be some nfl teams that if he's not going to run here and not going to run at ohio state that's probably going to be an issue for some teams. Mm. Now, I don't know how everybody has it forecast, but I think it is really close between him, Rome, Oduzi, and um, neighbors from LSU. So I think those three guys, depending on the skill set that your team lacks, you could have those three ranked in any order. And I think other teams will have them different than me or you or anybody else, but that's how close I think it is. So it's a risk for me if Harrison decides never to run, I, that, that kind of puts up a red flag, and, and I don't know how I would take that at the end of the day. I don't think there's a clear enough delineation, like the media has led us really to this point of saying how Harrison is a generational talent. I think the awareness of who's in his rearview mirror might make him change his mind at some point. Randy, combine interviews are always interesting because sometimes it's legit interest that a team has in a prospect, and other times it's used as kind of a smokescreen for other teams to kind of throw them off your scent. So yesterday, the Seahawks interviewed Drake May and Jaden Daniels, which obviously uh, caught a lot of people's attention because they've got Geno Smith as their quarterback. So what did you make uh, of them showing maybe some faint interest or, or real interest in two of the three top quarterback prospects? I think it's just doing due diligence, to be honest with you. I think you've got to discuss these guys. You've got to attack them as if, hey, 
if we need a quarterback, we probably know Caleb's out of the mix. Here's the next group, and it wouldn't shock me if they talked to a couple others as well, quarterback-wise. So I think it's just part of the process. You've got to go through a whole spring with checking boxes on all these guys, and you might as well take advantage while they're here in town of of visiting with them. So I think it's a good move. I I think it doesn't really reflect how they feel about Geno or Drew Locke or anybody, really. It's just part of the process of really building files on all these prospects. I would probably add to it they probably talked to some guys who are at the bottom of their draft board as well maybe doing a little uh college free agent recruiting uh, after the draft so there's a lot of different reasons you talk to or not talk to certain players randy um obviously the seahawks coaching staff isn't down there they got some things to do at vmac but john schneider is there um what's his role right now is he talking to gms trying to prepare for the draft how how often is he talking to players walk us through the week that john schneider could have yeah i think it's a great question because their their days and i've been asked this this week several times by media people it's kind of a nightmare week for gms (laughs) because you're going from 6 a.m to midnight every day i think the one thing that doesn't happen very much is there's not a lot of conversation between teams I think that maybe if there's a specific trade uh, that you have in the back of your mind, you might do a little exploring of that. But their days are filled. They're, they're filled with interviews. They're filled with meetings with agents of your prospective free agents and of guys who are going to be free agents. Um, they're, they're, they're really a lot of meeting and communicating and downloading of information. And so it's hard for GMs nowadays. They, some of it is relying on your own staff, and you meet a lot of times with them for hours as well to kind of hash things out. The good thing is for most GMs, by the time they come here to this combine, their boards at home are mostly set. They, their scouts have had their say. They kind of have run through this draft and free agency now internally to kind of know where the, the cards lie, and they've sequenced players. So this is just another step with regard to maybe confirming some of those numbers and thoughts before they go out on the road for pro days or before free agency starts. But it's it's not a vital time. So I understand why certain coaches don't come to it. It's not for everybody, and everybody's role is different. Randy, when you were running these front offices and were in charge of of drafts and, and putting together draft boards, what did you emphasize the most? Was it the tape itself of these prospects? Was it the combine results or was it the pro day results? Or, or, or was there anything else that you were like, this is the most important thing uh, to me in evaluating draft talent? I think without a doubt, you know, my emphasis was always on the film. I I got nervous when we started moving people around and we hadn't played a game in two or three months. The film is is not going to lie. Anybody that's been around the game tells you that. You need to make up your mind on that. But I'll say this, the hardest thing to gather is the intangibles. And those do play a factor, a big factor. Um, I think I'm pretty confident that I can identify the traits that we want by watching film and who might fit best for us. What I'm less confident about is sources that tell me certain things about players' background, how they learn, how they react when things don't go good. So I've got to really qualify the agenda of the people I'm asking for that, and that's why I lean on scouts. That's why I lean on coaches. we got to find this information out, and that seems to me like it's harder and harder to get every year because, hey, the, the, the message sent to us sometimes is, is clouded because of the messenger wanting it to be a certain way. 
Yeah, that leads into my question, honestly, Randy. It go, because during this time, the closer you get to the combine and the draft, Caleb Williams was the greatest thing since sliced bread in October. And the closer yep. you get to the draft, now you're talking about ego and other concerns. Um, we hear about May, people saying he's not as athletic as people think. How how much of this is the agents or or whoever putting a message out there to kind of have the stock of this player drop a bit? Or is that something that we as consumers and, and radio analysts just kind of buy into and it is not really a real thing? Well, I think that the information is a real thing um, that leaks out. I don't know if it's actually factual or not. I always consider this type of uh, season as lying season, right? <laughs> I mean, everybody has a stake and everybody has an agenda, so you got to be a little careful of what you take. That happens when other players are trying to rise up. Maybe it's their representation that's disparaging other uh, players to, to make their own guys look good. So I think for the most part, NFL offices are never going to tell you weaknesses, strengths, issues that they have. So that information stays behind closed doors. So it's really the outside noise that I always used to block out when I ran these teams and and prepared for drafts or free agency. You've got to find a way to not even listen to it because you know, and you've got to be confident in your scouts and the information that they've gathered. So I think it's it's easy for us on the outside to kind of throw around rumors and innuendo, but I think the guys on the inside know more way than a lot more than we know. So I don't think it's as much of a factor for decision makers. Randy, the NFL calendar really ramps up once the combine is in the rearview mirror. March 5th is the franchise tag deadline, and then March 11th is the legal tampering period. Uh, March 13th is when the league year begins and free agency can begin. You recently uh, released your top 150 free agent list for The Athletic. Uh, That was about a week and a half ago. When you were looking at this year's free agent class, was there any position group that stood out to you as as being one of of considerable depth on the market? Well, I think for without a doubt for me, it was the edge players. And I have always hesitated to call players edge players because they obviously have to play the run. They have to play the pass. They've got to play a position. It's either an outside linebacker or a defensive end. But I think it, the game has evolved into really a seven-on-seven game for the most part. And as we all know that watch a lot of it, sub packages are on the field sometimes 75% of the time. So edge has become a thing. And I found that there are a ton of, not a ton of guys, but there are probably six or eight players this year that are difference making edge players, depending on your scheme and how you're going to use them. I think you mentioned the franchise tag that may dilute some of the depth, but that position for me was the deepest. I saw more players at that spot than I'd ever seen before as far as being available or at least prospectively available. But I do think some tags are going to be thrown out on a lot of these guys. And the fact that the salary cap went up an unexpected amount this year might make it easier for teams to tag, in particular, those pass rushers, because as we know, they are a premium around the league. The Hawks have the number 16 pick in the draft, and obviously we're all trying to speculate and figure out what they're going to do. Um, John Schneider comes out and says, look, I'm not proud that we haven't picked a lot of quarterbacks in 14 years, only two in the last 14 years that they drafted. If they were to pick a quarterback at 16, who do you think is going to be available? I'm assuming one, two, and three uh, picks in the draft are going to be quarterback. He's still got Atlanta, who possibly could use one if they don't pick one up in free agency. You got Denver as well. You have uh, Vegas. Who do you think could be available if they were to go that route and grab a quarterback? 
I think, to be honest with you, and I don't really subscribe to the top three guys. I think it's more like top four. But I think even to get one of those guys, you might have to be in the top 10, maybe even eight, to get one of those top four guys. And the fourth that, for me, that most don't consider in there is J.J. McCarthy from Michigan. I think he's a really good player, a really good prospect. Might have as much upside as any of these guys. So where Seattle sits at 16 is problematic, right? They may be better suited to fill or check that box maybe at the top of the second round, but they'd have to get up there as well. So I don't know that at 16 they can solve it uh, unless they kind of see some things that others don't see in these quarterbacks, which is always possible, or they or they maybe take one uh, in the second round. But it's a tough position for a lot of people to quantify and to evaluate because it's so detailed and there are so many so many angles of if a guy can process or not that you've got to flush out, and that makes it different for each team for sure. Randy, pick 16 is kind of like right at the edge of where a lot of front offices have first-round grades on guys, and then after that it's all just kind of a crapshoot after that. If you were in the Seahawks position picking at 16, do you do you stay there where maybe you can get one guy that you're really hyped on, or is it a need of them to go out and acquire more picks, especially because they don't have a second-round pick and maybe trade down a little bit in that first round? It's definitely no man's land. I've been there, done that. It's, <laughs> it is a spot that you're between a rock and a hard spot. I don't know that in their case it makes a lot of sense to give away more picks to move out of that spot. And you mentioned 16 being on the fringe. Really, depending on what team you talk to, you might be on the fringe at 10 or 12. And that's pretty normal for any draft. So there, the the NFL teams are much more critical with their evaluations, and nobody will hear that because they're not going to say it. But they may, in time, in, in some years, even narrow it to six or eight players that they're worth worth having. I think the best case scenario for Seattle is at 16, if there's three or four guys that they feel really good with at that time on their board, maybe they back up three or four spots and they'll still get one of those and then be able to add to their picks. That's the best case scenario in in the way I see it. But if they get to 16 and there's only one or two guys that they kind of like that at 16, they'll get somebody in their top 15 or so. Um, They'll get somebody in their top 10 possibly. And if there's only one or two of those names, it really doesn't merit dropping back because you risk those guys being gone. So it's a little bit of a poker game. John's done it before. Those of us have been in the chair have been through it. It's, it's a fun game to play, but in all realistic, uh, you you can't just trade back because that's what everybody wants to do. One, there's got to be something that somebody wants to trade up with you because it takes two to dance. And two, you might just trade yourself out of the player that you like the most. Randy, last one I got for you. Um, on, on my drive to work, I'm listening to ESPN, and Dan Orlovsky says, look, I, I'll take Jane Daniels over Caleb Williams. And he referenced Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud last year. Uh, him and Lewis Riddick were going back and forth. Um, is that a common theme that you're hearing or a possibility? Do you feel like um, the number one pick will be Jane Daniels, or do you think it's a lock with Caleb? I think, and I love those guys, but I think they're just talking to talk. <laughs> I don't think anybody's going to. I, I, I love Jaden Daniels as well, but I don't think I've heard anybody that has him slot, slotted ahead of Caleb Williams. So I think that's, 
you know, content and, and we all have to do what we got to do. I find it funny that people are kicking around the CJ Stroud and Bryce Young topic from a year ago. I had a hard time finding anybody that wouldn't have taken uh, them the way they went. I happen to like CJ Stroud better and it just fell that way that he ended up being in a better situation. So these things are all subjective. It doesn't mean that any of us are always right or wrong, but I think a lot of that conversation happens to, don't forget they're making TV shows, you know? <laughs> I feel it. He is the host of the Athletics Football GM Podcast. He's been an executive in the NFL for years. Randy Mueller, man, we appreciate you taking time. Thanks, Randy. Thanks, guys. Anytime. All right, take care, man. Man, Randy, blessing us, man. You tell us a GM. That's a GM, yeah. former GM for sure right there. For sure. Yeah. Every every uh, thing that he was telling me, I was like, yeah, this guy's been through the yeah. fire. Yeah, he's sharp. Pay he's attention. Sharp. Pay attention, folks. <laughs> All right, let's get to four-down territory. This is Four Down Territory, going inside the game with former Seahawks and Coug wide receiver Michael Bumpus. He also, when I asked him about the uh, draft grades of players in the top 16, uh-huh. I'd hear him go, yeah, yeah. And I was like, that's right, I know ball. <laughs> <laughs> Curtis knows ball. New podcast. <laughs> Question, uh, first down to you, Bump. Which player at the Combine has you excited to see him run the 40? It might have been Marvin Harrison Jr., but we know he ain't doing that. Um, it could be one of these receivers' neighbors. It could be Roma Dunze. But I'm going in the trenches for this one. Big man Tavondre Sweat out of Texas. He had his media day the other day at the Combine, and he is boasting about how fast he's going to run. Now, jokingly, he says he's going to run a 4-5. or five. I, That ain't going to happen. My man is uh, 365 pounds. He ain't going to move that fast. But I want to see what he does. He got me thinking. He sold the 40 time for the defensive lineman to me. So then I went back and looked at some of the, the big boys who ran some, some fast times last year it was a uh, uh Kalijah Kansi he ran a 467 now he's 61281 and you look at some other big boys who run some fast times it's typically the DNs on the D line who run those fast times you got a Barno who is 245 he ran a 436 you got Adafe Oye who ran a 436 he's 258 you got Montez Sweat who's 262 he ran a 441 and last year our big boy Cameron Young 306 he ran a 451 so look who knows how fast this guy is gonna run but he sold it to me so when the big boys get up there and line up for the 40 I will be watching for Devondre Sweat second down bump which rookie quarterback will be in the toughest situation depending on where he gets drafted now, this if they, they go quarterback. But if the Raiders pick a quarterback, that, that QB's in a tough situation. Now, you can look at the draft picks and say, what about Chicago? They don't win there. No quarterback has had success. What about the Commanders? What about New England? I understand all that. The reason why I say the... Uh, the Raiders is because Antonio Pierce said, "Look, man, we don't want we don't want to uh, to go cheap. We don't want a band aid at the quarterback spot. We want to go get our guy. There are potential band aids out there. Kirk Cousins, he's all free agents. Tannehill, Trubisky, Tyrod Taylor, Marcus Mariota, Sam Darnold, Drew Locke, Baker Mayfield. They're all free agents, right? But the reason why I say that is because whoever is drafted, if the Raiders do draft a quarterback, they got to see Pat Mahomes for ten plus years. That division is going to be so tough over there, and you all know how aggressive." of this Raiders nation is when it comes to football. So look, I'm looking at him and I go, you got to have success right away because you got a new head coach. He doesn't want a Band-Aid. And you got to see Pat Mahomes guaranteed at least two times 
every single year. I think those other quarterbacks will have time to develop in Chicago, Washington, New England, even Atlanta if they go. And then I'm also hearing that the Denver Broncos might want to grab a QB as well. But because of the rookie quarterback or kind of a rookie quarterback, he uh, got the tag uh, this year and the division that they are in. If the Raiders do draft a quarterback, that is going to be a tough situation. But luckily, you do have Devontae Adams. Will you have Josh Jacobs to lead on as well? We don't know. They're down. Bob, in a year where we saw 66 total quarterbacks start a game, there was one There was one backup that stood out to you the most. Who was it, and why should teams looking for a bridge quarterback or a quarterback competition go get this guy? This is, this is the bridge quarterback competition quarterback of the last five, six years, Goku's Garner Minshew. Ah. You go and you get you some Garner Minshew. Now you look at his numbers, his win losses hasn't been great. My man was a pro bowler this year in 2023. Yes, I know injuries and people opted out, but he still was a pro bowler, man. He's competitive. He is the Fitzpatrick of this era. He will win you some ball games. He'll have games where he throws 300, 400 yards and a few touchdowns, and then he'll also have some games where he does not shine. But this dude's going to be in the NFL for 10 or 15 years because he does enough to keep you competitive. If you're on the fence and you don't know what you're going to do at the quarterback spot or you have a young guy who needs a backup or needs a guy to kind of let him develop, you go and you get Gardner Minshew. He is a free agent this year. Um, He could be a franchise quarterback. You never know. But if you look at what he's done over the years, 15 and 22 as a starter, it's safe to say he's probably not going to be the guy. But he can be a guy to help you develop and help push another quarterback in training camp. I really like that Fitzpatrick comp because Ryan Fitzpatrick was a guy who you could definitely put in as your starter at the start of the season. You know, he's going to get you nine, maybe 10 wins. But then also like if you need a guy in a pinch to go out there and win you a ball game, like Gardner Minshew can absolutely do that in the same way that Ryan Fitzpatrick can. Fitzpatrick will show up fresh off the couch in a half button up t-shirt or button down and get you right. (laughs) (laughs) And, And Minshew will show up in a in a leather jacket and aviators <laughs> fourth down. Bob, which position do you think the Hawks are solid in? But history says they will still draft somebody of that position. There's a couple things to be true in life, man. Death taxes and the Seahawks drafting a running back. Yes. It's going to happen, right? You got DJ Dallas, who's a free agent this year. I appreciate everything that DJ has done. He's been the ultimate utility player. But since 2016, Every single draft, they've gotten a running back. Why do they do that? Because they understand is how um, how just dangerous <laughs> this position is. Guys get banged up. When you carry the football 200, 300 times in a year, you're talking about the elite running backs, you are going to get hurt and banged up eventually. Last year, they drafted Kenny McIntosh. We didn't see much of him. I assume that we'll see more of him. The year before that, they drafted uh, Kenneth Walker. In 2021, they took a year off because you only had three picks. In 2020, you go ahead, you get DJ Dallas, and before that, you get Travis Homer. I'm just saying, there are things to be true. They are going to draft a running back. In 2018, they get Rashad Penny. You got to have horses in the stable, especially if I think that grub is going to use the running backs in a way that I assume lots of the gap pin pull downhill aggressive type running style. So we know it's going to happen, Curtis. And when it happens, I'm just going to text you a smiley face and say, there it goes. These guys stay getting running backs, man. It's inevitable. All right, man, that was four down territory. When we come back, man, we're going to visit the timeline. We got more news from the chief super fan. Also, uh, we got the predators. They were, they were put on punishment, and then they responded. I'll let you know what that means next. 
This is The Timeline with Bump and Stacy. Brought to you by 1-800-DUIOA. This is The Timeline on Bump and Stacy. My guy Curtis Rogers filling in for Stacy Ross. Let's get right into it. Now, we talked about this yesterday. Uh, the Chiefs super fan, Chiefsaholic, man, he went viral. He was going on a... <laughs> I wouldn't call it a shopping spree, it was but a it robbery, was a, a robbery spree. spree. Yeah. Holding banks up, funding all his trips, following the Kansas City Chiefs, and um and making some bets. But uh, silence has been broken. Um, his lawyer made a statement, and Curtis, you said it's interesting. I cannot yeah, wait to hear this. This was sound. right after. So yesterday, Chiefsaholic had pled guilty to uh, multiple charges stemming from his eleven bank robberies in seven states. And so this is his lawyer basically uh, being like, yep, my, my client pled guilty, but uh, it, he takes some creative liberties uh, in, in just expressing his client's guilt. From the beginning of this case, folks, the government has been blitzing and Xavier's pocket was collapsing. But today, Xavier stepped into the pressure. He took responsibility for his actions. He stood up in court, humble and repentant, and admitted what he had done. Now, if I know anything about Xavier, and if the Chief's Kingdom knows anything about Chiefsaholic, we know that he doesn't give up. We know that if he stumbled and he fell, he didn't let his knee touch the ground. And that's because he's capable of doing a great thing, and he knows that there's still hope. We still have a lot of work to do on his case, but Xavier wants everyone to know that he loves the Chiefs' kingdom, he loves Kansas City, and he hopes that you'll rally to his support. Thank you, and God bless. They're going to tack on like five extra years. What is going on? <laughs> He's trying to make him out to be a hero. Right. You this stole. Man, this man robbed 11 <laughs> different banks in seven states, made off with 500 plus thousand dollars, and then tried to fund his lifestyle by by the money that he stole, placed outrageous bets on, on sports games. Like this guy's not a hero and his lawyer's making him out to be that Curtis. He stumbled, yeah, but his knee never hit the ground, never hit the ground. He stands here before you. The government was <laughs> blitzing him, but he stood tall. He in the stood pocket. tall in the pocket. He's uh, Pat Mahomes, Curtis. God. He is Pat. This is crazy. Now, my buddy is going through some stuff with his family. He pays like five, $600 an hour for a lawyer. Wow. This is like 50 bucks an hour. Yeah, this is 25 this is bucks an pro hour. Pro bono, maybe? Maybe. This is a public defender? <laughs> like, I, yeah. When I heard that yesterday, I was like, oh, I actually do kind of feel a little bad for Chiefsaholic because he's so going to get extra years tacked onto his sentence just because of this. <laughs> just because of this guy. Yeah. Just you know, I've got the mic in my hand. Man. I'm gonna, I'm gonna flow. I'm gonna spit some verse. Here. The judge is sitting there. He goes, "You done? Yeah. Get your man's fifty years. <laughs> <laughs> Get your man's fifty years. Lock him up." It was entertaining, though. I give him that. It was. I don't think it helped. Oh, though. definitely. It went viral for sure. But yeah, you you did not help your client's case out there at all, buddy. All right. Next up on the timeline. Following a 9-2 loss to Dallas on February 15th, the Nashville Predators canceled an upcoming team outing to the Vegas Fear while in town to play the Golden Knights as punishment for poor performance. I, you know what? You hold them accountable. But that's yeah. something I do to my kids. Like, you messed up? All right, man, I'm taking away 30 minutes of screen time of your video game time to uh, 
to punish grown men is funny to yeah. me. But they responded. They did. Ever since getting that trip to the Vegas Sphere uh, canceled, they have won six in a row with five of those wins coming on the road. Now, I wonder, Bump, how many of these Predators players were actually bummed that they didn't get to go to the Sphere because it's you two. And I feel like <laughs> people who are like 25 years old, you know, anybody younger than about 35, 40 ish. Yeah. Probably doesn't resonate with you two the way somebody that is, you know, 45 and older. The only thing I would say is this, is the experience. Yeah. The sphere. It looks, it looks awesome. Right. I've seen videos. It looks awesome. But yeah, you two, some guys are probably like, good, man. I didn't want to go to that anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I was trying to think. I, I'm sure if you played some of YouTube's most popular songs, I know them. Right. But off the top of my head, I can't name a YouTube song. Uh, They're with, one of the biggest bands in the world, though. I'm, I'm not. I'm not discrediting who YouTube is. It so just ain't for me. They have a song called "With or Without You," and, and yes, the, I know that one. The yeah. article that I read uh, about this Predators story is. The U2 concert at the Vegas Sphere went on with or without the Nashville <laughs> oh! Predators. I was like, ah, I see what they did there. Well played, well done. dad joke. Is, is there any concert or any show or anything like that, any movie that if it got taken away from you, you would you would straighten up? Man, there's this uh, there's this festival. I forgot what it's called. It goes down in March. In Las Vegas, and it's it's all of it's all R and B and hip hop from the oh, early two thousands. Right. Yeah, forgot what it's called, but it goes out in March. If I were gonna go to that, and they took that away from me, um, me and somebody are beefing just just off of pure <laughs> frustration in the locker room. I'm blaming somebody. Like, how'd you do this to us? Yeah, that's um that would be a tough. What about you? Any any any, any concert? Yeah, well, any like show like if you took away like trashy reality TV. I don't watch it to the extent that like Stacy does. Like Stacy's number one genre of television <laughs> is trashy reality TV. Right. Um but I like Survivor, love that. Love is blind, love that. Mm -hmm. Uh yeah, if you took those away from me, I'd I'd be I'd be pretty bummed. I'd be like, okay, I I, I see your point. Like <laughs> don't need to step to such drastic measures here. Uh yeah, the sphere would be just getting to go there would be enough of the experience. I yeah, I could put up with you two for however long their concert is. An hour, a couple hour and hours, half, yeah. yeah. Um yeah, I last time I was in Vegas, I saw them building the sphere, so mm -hmm. I never really got to see just how crazy it looked. You were recently in you were in there last year for uh yeah. Pac-12 Media Days. And it's it's impressive, man. It's kind of weird because um yeah. If you feel like, cause that when I was there, they had like the emojis on it, oh, and it's man. looking at you. I'm like, <laughs> this thing is following me around the strip right now. Um, and when you fly in, it looks it looks pretty cool oh, too. Yeah. Now here's my question: I wonder if the Predators coach sat them down and said, "You see, if you behave and you play well, you get nice things. If you don't, I take it away." These are grown men. Dude. Yeah, we're we're starting to you know, have to punish Willa because she's, you know, getting to the age where she knows better to do certain things. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's interesting trying to find punishments that match the, the crime right. as it were. Right. Uh, oftentimes you find yourself like it's giving the most dr drastic punishment for like the tiniest thing. And it's like, uh Oh, I, 
I should have not done that. Like that's not that's not fitting of the crime. But this not going to the Vegas Sphere because you lost nine to two the night prior. Like, yeah, I get it. I totally get it. That coaching staff was like, we are not having fun. Nah. No fun for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not mad at you too, but I am mad at them because um, I use Apple Music. My buddies make fun of me because oh, I use Apple Music. Album on, yeah, with, they put the album on, and I'm driving in the whip, and then some random song comes on. I'm like, what's going on here, man? All right, next on the timeline. Um, positive news here, man. Uh, former Mariner Eric Swanson's four-year-old son, Toby, was released, was recently hit by a car, and now he is out of ICU. You love to hear this. You and I have kids, and there was a, um, I think it was a Family Guy episode where uh, I think the dog's name is Brian. He's uh, He has a, like a stepson or something like that, or adopted son. And um, they make fun of it like, oh, if anything were to happen to my child, oh, I don't know what I would do. That's real. It is. You imagine anything happening to your child and you're, you're immediately hurt. I cannot picture being in his shoes and having something like this happen to your, your little baby, man. Yeah, Eric uh, Swanson, when he was with the mayor, was such a good dude. And, uh, you know, four years old, I mean, it's just a still a baby, it's a baby. You know, in a way. and. Like, you never want to see that for anybody. So glad that it looks like his son's uh, situation is improving, obviously. Uh, continue to, to pray for for the Swanson family and, and hope that uh, his son makes a, a full recovery. But, yeah, such a scary situation. He was airlifted uh, from where it was that they were staying in Florida. Uh, I believe Swanson has been away from the Blue Jays. Uh, in the days since this has happened, and uh, I, I don't think there's any timetable on his return. Obviously, things are far more important uh, right now for him and his family, but great news to hear about the Swanson family, his son Toby, uh, hopefully pulling through here because no one no one wants to go through that. You don't wish that on anybody. Nobody, man. Glad to hear Glad to hear it. Okay, that was the timeline. We're going to uh, switch back to baseball here for the next couple of segments. We're going to get some DePoto sound, man. The guy making the moves during the offseason, um, he has spoken. We'll hear about that next. Bumpin' Stacy, Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Rost. Dad podcast is in full effect on Michael Bumpus with Curtis Rogers, man. The uh, the M's, they're down in Peoria. Tune it up, getting ready for the season. And uh, we finally got to hear from Jerry DePoto. He was on the morning show, the Brock and Salk show, and uh, had some, some interesting things to say. So we're going to break it all down, Curtis. The first one I, I want to listen to and respond to, we touched on a, a little bit earlier in the show about Ty France possibly um, getting some run at third base. But uh, let's hear, hear from the man himself. Here's DePoto. Yeah, I guess there's always a chance, and it's one thing that we've always done, and this developmentally from the minor leagues to the major leagues we all of our outfielders play all the positions the infielders move around you know we try to give them the various exposures because you never know what's going to happen during the course of a season and some of the, the the things that have been impressive in this early going one is the the physical condition of ty france he's he's he looks incredibly athletic right now and i'm i mentioned it to him that he did the work this offseason and and perry hills always believed in him as a third baseman so giving him the opportunity to rotate over there it just like i talked about with the flexibility with guys like rojas urias Moore, etc you know if ty france fits into that bucket all the better for us polanco is also a guy who can go play third base he's got second he's played a little first having that type of versatility really provides depth before you even get to the next layer of, of player i'm glad we got to hear kind of the full quote because um 
it makes sense. It's almost like he wants to reward Ty France for the work that he's put in. And then you got the OG, the legend himself, Perry Hill, saying, I think he can get it done at third base. But I think you and I are both on the same page where it goes, well, if you don't have to do that, um, right. don't do it. Yeah, I just don't see why they need to put Ty France there, especially if you've got Josh Rojas, who has played third base at the major league level. You have uh, the ability to go out and get somebody else and and sign a free agent, Matt Chapman, cough, cough, uh, to <laughs> be that third baseman as you await the return of Luis Arias. I just don't really see why they need to kind of fit a square peg in a round hole here with Ty France. I know that he came up as a third baseman. He's played some second base too in his career, but that was, you know, four or five years ago. This is Ty France now who uh, you just want to have him with as few distractions as possible because he's trying to get back to the level of play that he had in 2021, uh, 20, no, that was 2022 when he was an all-star. Yeah. yeah. when You want to get, have him get back to that level of play that he was in the first half of the 2022 season. And having him learn a new position right now, this close to the start of the season, I just think wouldn't be the best for somebody that you're just trying to make it as, as smooth as possible for them. I look at and you know, I didn't, I played baseball in high school and I was in the outfield. I never played in the field. Um, People, when people talk about offensive line, they they talk about it as this: it's easy to go from the right side of the line to the left side of the line, or vice versa. What type of challenges do you think would present France moving over to third base? You're going to need a lot more lateral quickness because you're facing more right-handed hitters. Um, you got to test out that arm strength thrown across the diamond, um, and then you know you got to dive to your left to close up that hole to get balls that JP can't get to. Um, it, it is a lot different than first base. I think it's a much higher ask of a player to go play third base than it is first base. Now, first base has its own sets of challenges. Um, but I think if you're looking at it from just a level of difficulty in terms of each position on, on the infield, I would say that shortstop's the, the toughest. Mm -hmm. Then it's third base, followed by second, then first. Okay. Um, of the four spots on the infield, I think third base is probably the second toughest of the four spots. So it would be a, a, a significant ask of Ty France to move across the diamond at this point in his career. Curtis knows ball. All right, uh, let's hear about what uh, DePoto is most excited about. I think the depth that we've been able to create, you know, going into this spring stands out the most. It's such a fun group. A lot of those guys in the bullpen that, that are competing for spots, guys like Jackson Coar, Colin Snyder, Carlos Vargas, Joey Kreibel, Ty Butchery, they, they've been excellent. Mm. And, you know, that's been a positive. I think every day our pitching runs out there. I think this should work. And and I love the depth of the, the lineup and, and the way we see those guys start to assimilate, you know, the Jorge Polancos, the Luke Rayleys, the, the Uriases, the guys who've come in and joined the, the group seem to have done so pretty seamlessly. Now, this is, to me, it's a different kind of depth. It's not let's platoon everybody type of depth, but it's, all right, if we need a guy to, to, to fill in on a role, then then we got those guys. What do you feel about this depth? The depth of this team, I think, is the best that it's been in the last, like, 
three, four years where their playoff window has been open. Um, last year, we heard Service and DePoto also remark about the depth, but it was nowhere near what it is right now. Now, I do think that they are lacking in starting pitching depth at the moment, especially with Miller and Wu firmly in the rotation. Outside of them, it's like it's Emerson Hancock potentially, and then Austin Voth has been getting some run as a starting pitcher too. Um, that's my biggest area of concern in terms of depth beyond what we see at the major league level. Uh, third base is a big question mark too. Um, but yeah, I think this lineup is a lot deeper than it's been. Um, in years past, you kind of, I feel like Dylan Moore is a guy on most teams that would be like the 26 man on the roster where mm-hmm. he's, you know, just a very valuable utility guy. But in years past, he's got a lot of playing time here because they just simply haven't had that depth. Now, I mean, you look at the Mariners uh, opening day roster, potentially, I, I would say Dylan Moore is going to be on it but probably as that like 26th man. So I think that is a, a testament to some of the moves that they've made this offseason to make themselves deeper offensively. Um, I think this Mariners team, yeah, it's the deepest of of the four last four seasons, 21, 2, 3, and 4 now. Um, but also they got to go play the game. Like you can talk about depth right now, mm-hmm. but let's say you get a rash of injuries hitting your ball club, that depth is going to be tested. Yeah, and – uh the bullpen depth is already being tested, yeah. right? You got Matt Brash dealing with his situation. Uh, Urias has been um, banged up a little bit as well. So it, with any team sport, you're going to need that depth, and, I, and I'm glad that they have done that. Uh, there's some more DePoto because we might get to later. But, uh, yeah, it's nice to to hear him, right? Um, we've uh, Last time we heard him, people weren't happy <laughs> with the things that he had to <laughs> say. So it's nice to have him talking about what's going on with his team right now and, uh, and how he feels about it. All right, when we come back, our guy, BG, Brandon Gustafson, is going to be in studio after that. We'll get back to some um, headline rewrites and NFL headlines. All that is next. we got Curtis Rogers filling in for Stacey Ross and Michael Bump. It's Bump and Stacey.